Welcome back into the Rattle Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jesse Friedman, along with Jeff Weiser, my co-host, as we enter episode 18 of the show. And I believe this is now our third show of the new year. Um, And we are here in March. Spring training is officially in full swing. Jeff, it's a good thing that spring training results don't carry over to the regular season because so far things have not looked uh, particularly good for the Diamondbacks. They enter uh, today as we speak with a record of two and eight. They dropped another one last night to the Kansas City Royals. Um, And Jeff, obviously, you know, spring training results, you certainly, uh, you know, we've seen this Diamondbacks team be really, really good uh, in the past at times when their spring trainings were, were just absolutely horrible. So I don't think any of us are necessarily too concerned about the two and eight start so far. Um, but I think, I think more what you look at it in terms of spring training is instead of the team performance, you're looking at, you know, the performance of individual players. And I think those are the things that we're really uh, starting to pay attention to now that some of these guys have uh, gotten some at-bats under their belt. We're not looking at a sample size of, you know, three plate appearances anymore for most of these players. Um, Jeff, I'm, I'm curious from your standpoint, what are some some names that have, that have maybe stuck out to you as guys who have looked good or maybe more likely not so good in, in this rough start so far for the D-backs? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult to get off to a good start when you run up against the buzzsaw that is the Kansas City Royals. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it has been a slow go, um, which is fine. I think you nailed it. Um, it's it's interesting. It's it's easy to overreact to kind of the, you know, the slow start or the the, the small samples um, in games that are that are frankly meaningless. So the sky is not falling by any means. Tim LaCastro is still being hit by pitches. True, everything is okay. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a couple, you know, a couple guys that I think, you know, that that deserve talking about. But the first one that I, that jumps out to me is, was last night's starter, Luke Weaver. Um, he's a guy that that obviously they're going to count on this year. He's not going to be able to throw an entire season's worth of innings. Um, you know, the most encouraging thing is that he's out there right now. Um, yeah. You know, after the the elbow issues um, and learning that you know he didn't need Tommy John surgery, which was which is encouraging, um, but he was missing his spots last night and, and often not by a lot. Um, but he just it seemed like he had a bit more tempo going. He seemed to be maybe a little ramped up. Um, and I know the game time was delayed last night, and that can you know cause some havoc for starting pitchers. So he's a guy that I'm that I'm kind of, you know, looking at and is, is kind of fresh in my mind after last night. But, um, you know, all in all, as long as he's healthy, I feel pretty comfortable with him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I think Luke Weaver is a guy who at, at this point in his career is a proven enough commodity that I don't think he's, you know, coming into spring training, looking to earn a spot. I think the spot is, is probably there for him so long as he's healthy um, another guy on, on the starting rotation who has stuck out to me on, on the opposite side, someone who's actually looked really good so far has been Zach Gallen. Um, I've really seen, um, just all four pitches really working for Zach Gallen, and he's a rare pitcher in, in today's game that actually has four pitches that are, that are viable that he can throw at you at any time in any count. Uh, the velocities look pretty good for him. He's been in the 93 to 95 range, I believe, throughout most of spring training. And all of the hype that, that has surrounded Zach Gallen over the last few months, even dating all the way back to when he came over 
in a trade at the trade deadline last year. That hype is is still there uh, because this this young guy, I think, has the potential to be the Diamondbacks best pitcher this season in, the, in their starting rotation. I know there's, you know, there's Mad Bum coming over. There's Robbie Ray in a contract year. Uh, but if, you know, if 2020 comes and goes and Zach Gallen is, is was the best pitcher uh, for the Diamondbacks during the regular season, I, I don't think I would really be all that surprised. I think he is uh, polished enough to get there uh, already. And so far from what I've seen in spring training, I know he gave up, uh, you know, a big three run home run the other day. Um, but at this point, you're, you know, you're looking less at, at ERAs and, and things like that and more at uh, just kind of the makeup of pitchers and, and what it looks like when they're when they're throwing. Are they comfortable? Do their mechanics look good uh, early in spring training? And, and so far for me, Jeff, Zach Gallen has looked really, really good this spring training. Yeah, I mean, to- totally nailed it. I mean, the guy's given up one hit and one walk, uh, somehow surrendered three earned runs. Um, yeah. Yeah, but unfortunate he's, timing with that home run. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's struck out five, um, you know, and and his his whip is is like paper thin. So um, he's another, you know, just a guy that I think is is a huge boost for them. Um, you know, and, and we'll kind of talk about a little later. I think what he what he kind of means to the club and 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 how to kind of evaluate his impact. Um, but it is good to see him come out firing. Uh, I think I think he really caught so many people by surprise last year. He just um, he has all the tools necessary. It's it's really unbelievable. And and I think about you know how far the the scouting process has come over the years. I think about how far you know data has come over the years. And the fact that a guy like Zach Gallen can fly under even kind of the prospect radar um, to to just shove in AAA. And yeah. all of a sudden, people take notice. He gets called up. He's you know doing his thing in Miami. He comes to Arizona. It's even better. I mean, there are still opportunities to find diamonds in the rough. And you mm-hmm. know, through some of the reporting that's that's happened around the acquisition of Gallon, um, it's very encouraging that the Diamondbacks identified him early, and really approached Miami with the pro- the, the notion of like, hey. This is a guy we want. What do you want for him? Um, and went back and forth and ultimately settled on on the Jazz Chisholm deal. Um, but it's very encouraging that the scouts for the Diamondbacks, um, you know, picked him up well before he was really on the public radar and started that dialogue with Miami very early in the process. And that really allowed them to come in, scoop him up, because at this point, I mean – what would he cost if a team wanted to get him from Arizona? Yeah. He I, would be very expensive, I have to think. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think young, controllable starting pitching is kind of the name of the game in yeah. just all across baseball. And and obviously, Jazz Chisholm is, you know, a great prospect, still has a has a bright future ahead of him in, in Miami. We certainly hope. Uh, the best for for all for him in his career but but yeah to your point I mean young starting pitching that is controllable the Diamondbacks have Zach Gallon but through 2024 I believe or something along those lines and and you know he's he's about as good as they come you know as far as you know 24 year old starting pitchers go um, he's certainly an exciting one um, I want to transition to some maybe more sour news uh, Jake Lamb so far this spring training we saw 
Um, I know we were talking before we hopped on the air about his new batting stance. He's kind of uh, cocked the bat back a little bit, kind of opened up the stance, maybe given himself a, a chance to see the ball coming in a little bit better. Um, obviously, spring training results aren't aren't everything, but I wouldn't say I've necessarily seen a whole lot of hard contact. I think he's one for 13 so far uh, with the bat since spring training opened up. Uh, Jeff, I'm, I'm curious what you think of the new stance and, and what we're expecting or maybe not expecting from, from Jake Lamb this season. I mean, speaking of not expecting, I wasn't necessarily expecting him to be here. Um, yeah, so, so that <laughs> that's is, where it all starts. <laughs> yeah, that's continued to kind of catch me by surprise. Um, you know, and what he's shown this spring is, is not going to expedite, uh, you know, a trade necessarily. So, um, you know, he looks like a guy that maybe is primed to sort of hang on to that 26th roster spot, I guess, um, you know, as they try to get him going. The stance change is, is interesting to me. Um, you know, they've opened him up. He's he's now has that sort of open stance, and then he sort of steps into the bucket as the pitch comes. You know, I, 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 I view that as, as a technique to help him see the ball better. Um, it just kind of, you know, by opening that front side, he gets a better look at the pitcher. Um, and, and, you know, there must've been something they identified there. Uh, I could see that being especially useful against left-handed pitching. Mm. Uh, we know that he already, you know, he struggles with that to such a degree that it, it makes me curious about even using him against left-handed pitching with any kind of regularity. Yeah, And so if he's going to continue to face righties, you know, 80% of the time, as I would expect, um, you know, is it really worth tweaking his stance? Um, I'm assuming that the people in charge have done the math, the coaches, um, you know, the, you know, his hitting coach, Jake himself. Um, and they feel like that's a worthwhile trade-off, but, um, it does look awkward. I'll tell you that, uh, it takes a little getting used to it. Like, <laughs> Who is that guy? He looks like Jake Lamb, but he doesn't look like Jake <laughs> Um, So it's interesting. I mean, I think that'll take some time to even out. And, you know, I'd probably focus on the latter half of spring training to see if that, that swing change starts to give him some traction. Yeah, elsewhere elsewhere up and down the lineup, we, we've been talking about how it's pretty much been Cattell Marte or, or bust for the Diamondbacks yeah. from an offensive standpoint so far. And I think that's something that's worth talking about because, you know, spring training for, for you know, your your biggest name player for a guy who's coming off an all-star season, you know, so when, when Paul Goldschmidt would have a bad spring training, usually, we you know, you just kind of brush it off. You don't really care. Um, but I think when your star does, you know, come off their, their first season that was truly, truly excellent, like Cattell Marte did, and, and he follows it up with what he's done so far uh, this spring training, just smacking the cover off the ball in all directions. He hit a home run in literally his first plate appearance of the spring train uh, of spring training and i loved what he said after he hit the home run i think they asked him in, in the uh in in the post-game interview about that home run and he, and he literally just said yeah i hit 32 last year so i wasn't surprised um which you know you, you don't you don't see that kind of talk out of arizona superstars uh, too often not not something we're used to seeing so i i personally appreciated Gattel just kind of going out there and and uh saying words like that but um, but yeah, truly what he's done so far over the spring is, has been has looked very much the same as what we saw all of last season. 
and and Jeff, I know you were talking before we started recording that this start, even though it, it's happening in spring training against uh, you know pitchers who are lesser than what we're going to see come opening day and, and the start of, of the regular season, it's still encouraging and it gives you some semblance of hope that Cattell Marte has a chance to be just as good this year as he was last year when he hit 329 and hit 32 home runs and, and all these other things. Yeah, I think as you watch spring training baseball, it's it's funny because you, you see a bunch of uh, AAA players and some AA players, um, bench guys that are that are up there, you know, getting their hacks, getting their looks. Um, and they're like trying to find a groove, you know, they don't look totally comfortable, you know, they're, you know, fouling some balls off and, you know, hitting dribblers. And then, you know, I, I myself, you know, I am prone to sort of regressing performance. Um, but then I just watch Cattell Marte step in the box. And I mean, even the foul balls are just pounded. Um, <laughs> he hits everything so hard. The swing, I mean, he just looks so confident. Um, there's no guessing. There's like, it, it just, he looks as dialed in as he did last season. And uh, it's it's really a joy to watch, first and foremost, but the D-backs are going to need that. And to see him come up, you know, hit the ground running is, is really encouraging. I saw that home run. It was impressive. Um, he looks like the same guy. And so... Um, it's, it's very nice when your star player comes up and from day one establishes himself. I mean, he may go through some sort of slump, you know, this spring, but, um, by all means, he looks more than capable, of continuing to be an impact player. Um, it's not that I, I think he would have rolled out of bed sometime in January and forgotten how to hit. <laughs> but we have a pretty small sample to work with of him being like an MVP caliber hitter. Hmm. Um, but just the eye test alone suggests that he is ready to, uh, you know, come out and be that kind of force or at least, you know, try to be. And, um, that's really at this point, all we can ask for elsewhere throughout spring training. I think a few names that have, that have stuck out to me, unfortunately, mostly more so on the negative side than the positive um, Josh Rojas did hit a home run yesterday, which was which was really good to see. Um, he, I believe, is three for sixteen so far in the spring, so a bit of a slow start, but good to see the home run yesterday. Um, Rojas is obviously a guy who, probably more than just about anyone else on the roster, really does have something to fight for. Um, yeah. This spring training is is you know a, a big you know utility role off the bench, a guy that we pegged is probably making the opening day roster, um, but I think he'll probably have to kick things into gear just a little bit down the stretch here to, to kind of improve his chances as far as that's concerned. Uh, Domingo Leyva has looked pretty pretty solid. I think he's four yeah. for 15 uh, so far, OPS of 846. I know he hit a home run um, the other day, he hit a double yesterday in the game. Um, so he's another guy who's kind of in the mix with, with Josh Rojas for that utility role off the bench. Uh, yeah. Rojas obviously has a little bit more positional flexibility on his side since he can cover the outfield and basically everywhere on the diamond, whereas Leyva's more of an, more of a middle infield, maybe third base guy. Um, but that'll be interesting to see how that plays out for sure. I think on the bullpen side of things, um, I know you were not super happy with Hector Rondon throwing a two-seam fastball yesterday middle <laughs> in to Michael Franco, which was... Not not great to see. Uh, we've talked before about how 
uh, he allegedly had planned is to kind of lay off the, the two-seam fastball slash sinker, whatever you want to call it, um, and kind of lean more on his four-seam fastball and the slider and just kind of be a two-pitch pitcher. Um, but yesterday, he went with the two-seamer. It was not pretty. It went a long, long ways. Um, so hopefully, hopefully Hector Rondon is able to to clean things up. I think he's just allowed one run over three innings so far. Yeah. So nothing, nothing too startling as far as he's concerned. Uh, Yoan Lopez, unfortunately, gave up, uh, I believe, four runs it was the other day. His command was just a little bit all over the place with both the fastball and the slider. Um so I think I think Jeff with with the bullpen as far as that's concerned. Obviously the Diamondbacks went out, they got Rondone, uh, they got Guerra, um, but the reality is that this bullpen is just a little bit unsettling, no matter uh, what how you look at it. Um, and, and I think guys like Yoan Lopez, who maybe you figured were you know locks to make it after having a, a good season last year. I think he's, you know, starting to show that the Diamondbacks bullpen is maybe not quite as uh, quite as foolproof as, as we might have hoped. And even guys like Yoan Lopez, who was with the Major League team throughout the entire season last year, is also prone uh, to having issues of his own. Um, so I'm curious, have, what have you seen from the Diamondbacks bullpen? Are there any other names you want to you want to throw into the mix that you've noticed so far here in the spring? Yeah, definitely. I'm going to I'm going to do a brief uh, a brief kickback to uh, the position player side for just a second. Um, I think it's interesting that the batters with the most at bats this spring, I think this back to the sort of position battle conversation, uh, are guys like Ildemaro Vargas, Trace Thompson, Kevin Crone, Tim LaCastro, Josh Rojas, and Domingo Leyva. So if you're talking about who's going to maybe find that, you know, 25th, 26th roster spot, uh, that might be a good clue as to, you know, who's getting that work to sort of show they belong. Yeah. Um, but to your question about the bullpen, I mean, I think you're spot on. I, I think we need to, to once again, sort of strap in our seatbelts and prepare for a bit of a wild ride. Um, you know, Archie Bradley and Andrew Chapin have been fine in their, you know, very, very, very limited action. Uh, <laughs> Javi Guerra has been fine in his limited action. Um, you know, that's, that's all well and good. Um, but yeah, Rondon, I, you know, his, his overall line looks really, really good this spring. Um, but I did see that two seamer and I just sat there and said to myself, that's the pitch she's, you know, that was discussed that we was not going to be thrown. Um, you know, and it's a two seamer that starts, you know, maybe on the outer half of the plate or kind of middle and it's elevated and then it cuts down and in and you're just putting it right, you know, right in the power zone to a right-handed hitter. And, um, you know, if you want to throw that pitch against opposite handed hitting and have it run off the plate away from guys, you know, okay. Um, but throwing it to, to same handed hitters is dangerous because it's, it's either got to be so far outside and then come back and nip the strike zone or you got to like bust guys hard inside, like off the plate with it. And if it catches too much of the plate, man, you are just serving it up on a tee. Um, yeah, I I'm with you on young Lopez. He, um, you know, he was erratic last year, um, and got away with it, uh, time and time again, that guy, you know, hard hit balls would get caught or, you know, <laughs> die on the warning track. And you're just going, Oh my goodness. You know, he is living on a hope and a prayer. Um, but it's a live arm, and it's a velocity that they don't have a lot of. And so mm. I think it's really critical that he works something out 
Kevin Ginkle, um, you know, has, has given up a few runs, but, you know, seems to be okay. Um, I, I just think the the overall collection is going to be, once again, a little iffy. Um, yeah. I think the, the back end will probably be okay. It's going to be the times when Robbie Ray struggles to get out of the fourth inning, and you got to get relievers through the fifth and the sixth. Um, it's going to be those kinds of situations that are going to be really difficult. The underbelly of just about every major league bullpen is vulnerable. And so making sure that there's a successful bridge, you know, back to the Chapins, the Bradleys, the Guerras, um, and even Rondon is really important. Can the starter go five or six strong and then hand it over to those guys? If that's the case, I feel pretty good. Um, but in the instance where you need to throw a bullpen game or your starter gets shelled early, um, or even like, you know, Robbie Ray doesn't necessarily get shelled, but he throws 110 pitches through four innings. Um, (laughs) that's when they're going to be vulnerable. And that's, that's what I'm a little bit leery of. Um, but I think you could make that case about most bullpens in baseball. Hmm. You know, there's one guy who I, we didn't necessarily plan on on talking about extensively, but I want to bring up. Um, I saw him pitch a couple days ago when I was out at the game on on Monday. Uh, John Duplantier, I think, is a is a name. I knew you that, were going to go there. Yeah, yeah, you probably did. <laughs> um, I guess I'm predictable in my own right. But John Duplantier, not that long ago, was was going to potentially headline a trade uh, to the Baltimore Orioles for Manny Machado. Uh, that was only like about a year and a half ago when the Diamondbacks were thinking of doing that at the trade deadline, and they didn't want to. They didn't want to let him go. They thought that that Duplantier was was just too good and, and had too high of a ceiling as a starting pitcher in this league to want to give up on him when he was, you know, still kind of at the brink of of even breaking a major league roster for the first time. And, uh, and and I watched him pitch the other day. His command looked a, a little bit off. The stuff was good. He had a few strikeouts. Um, and I, I'm curious, Jeff, because I, I think we all know a guy like, you know, maybe Taylor Clark or, or Taylor Widener. These are guys who probably should not have prominent roles on, on the Diamondbacks this season. At least I think if you can manage to stay away from them, that's that's probably... Uh, uh, you know, would bode well for the Diamondbacks. We've kind of seen what Taylor Clark is um, based on what he did last year, mm-hmm. and it wasn't always the prettiest thing in the world. But Duplantier, you know, was was up and down, struggled with injuries last year. I think he's a little bit less proven of a commodity and, and has more ceiling to tap into than those other guys might have. Um, where do you see a guy like Duplantier maybe fitting in for the Diamondbacks this year? I think he's one of the guys that, that can maybe be that bridge because um, he's capable of throwing more than an inning at a time. Right. Um, and by keeping him somewhat stretched out, uh, you know, you retain the possibility of, and this is assuming he doesn't, you know, begin his year in Reno or even if he does that he sees extended time, you know, with the Diamondbacks. Um, by keeping him somewhat stretched out, you know, you can put him back in a starter's role in a pinch if you need to. Um, he can probably get you four innings um, and then, you know, sort of hand things over. Um, you know, I haven't caught his two starts, um, but the line looks, you know, looks reasonable. Um, he's walked three guys in yeah. three and two thirds, but he's also struck out six. So um, 
you know, that tells me that the stuff is probably, you know, pretty sharp. Um, where it ends up might still be a little bit of an issue. Um, but the stuff is good enough to, you know, get those swing strikes and, and punch guys out. So, um, I remain kind of high on him. I just think that we haven't seen at the major league level, we have not seen the best of John DePlantier. No. Um, I, I think we can all agree on that. And, you know, we may have to continue to wait for it, but I, I think it's still in there. The talent is there. And when he's right, when he's healthy, um, I think he can still be really effective. I've talked about it before, but fastball command is paramount for him. Mm. Um, his secondaries are, are, are okay, but he's not going, if he cannot locate his fastball on both sides of the plate, he's going to have a tough time. Um, I've seen that in starts from him in the past where, you know, he can, you know, he can hit sort of the glove side of the plate, but not the arm side. Um, and it just causes problems. So he's really vulnerable at times against, uh, left-handed, you know, against left-handed batters. If he's not able to, um, you know, locate the ball, you know, especially his fastball where he needs to. So mm. his health is first and foremost. And I think if, I think if he can stay healthy, if he can keep the reps, if he can stay in a groove, you know, it doesn't have to take like extended time off. I mean, imagine going from throwing, you know, just about every day to not throwing for six weeks and then having to start again. That sounds really hard. So um, yeah. it's just good to see him in action. But, you know, just judging from the stat line, having not laid eyes on him, it seems to suggest that the stuff at least is there. Yeah, yeah. And, and I can I can say from the eye test that that's a very accurate assessment. The stuff looked pretty good. Uh, the command was was maybe a little iffy for him. So I think that'll be something to, to monitor for sure. Um, I want to transition into a question that we got, a very interesting question from Greg Littleton, um, who says that Bakota predicts 79 wins for the Diamondbacks in 2020 after winning 85 games in 2019. And with the offseason additions, do you think the DUX will actually take a step back this season or is Bakota underestimating them? Um, I think that's a great question, Greg. Um, I think it's a question a lot of us are asking ourselves right now that, you know, those Pakoda projections come out and uh, some fans are, are very happy with them and, and others not so much. And I think for the Diamondbacks fan base, a lot of people have been a little bit a, a little bit underwhelmed um, after, you know, Madison Bumgarner came in, the Starling Marte trade was pulled off toward the end of the offseason. Uh, there were a lot of reasons for people to be optimistic about this team. And then, you know, a projection like that comes in for them to be, you know, five or six games worse than they were last year. And, and suddenly people are, are, are left asking questions. I'll start and give my answer and then I'll pitch it over to you, Jeff. Sure. sure. Um, I think I think it, it definitely does underestimate the Diamondbacks, but it does it in a way that if if you kind of think about the guts of Pakoda and how these projections are are coming out, it makes sense why a team like the Diamondbacks would be underestimated. You look at their best players from a year ago. Uh, Cattell Marte, you know, posted just over seven wins above replacement for the first time in his career. And and stat systems like Bakota are going to look at a guy like Cattell Marte and they're not going to see a seven win player again. They're probably going to see like a four win player 
uh, roughly in that neighborhood. That's where most of the projections have been. And, and it's understandable in, in a way because Cattell Marte has only ever done that once in his career. And so from a statistical standpoint, you'd probably expect that he would fall back a little bit and kind of, you know, end up somewhere in between where he was last year and where he's been in years prior to that. Um, and, it, and the same goes for, you know, maybe a guy like Eduardo Escobar, who had a big season last year. Um, a guy like Zach Gallen, who was really, really good in limited time last year. He's not going to get a, a super lofty projection from a, you know, a system that sees him as a as a 25 year old starter who's who's, you know, hardly pitched in the majors, doesn't really have a, a super long track record of any kind. And, and you look up and down the D-backs roster and there's a lot of guys like that. And so I think. Uh, given the nature of the Diamondbacks roster and how there's a lot of players who are, you know, have high ceilings that we see, um, but the projection system doesn't necessarily see that or at least is not going to expect that from them. And so that's why you end up with, you know, a projection of 79.8 wins for a team that looks much improved and, and won 85 games last year. Um, so I think the Diamondbacks are, are better than that personally. But when you when you evaluate where these projections come from, it starts to make a lot more sense why the Diamondbacks would be would be put at you know seventy nine or eighty wins for this year. Yeah, I totally agree. You nailed it. Um, let me ask you, just you know, based on your interpretation, uh, without looking at any numbers, do you feel like Madison Bumgarner or Cattell Marte will have a bigger impact um, from a from a wins above replacement standpoint in twenty twenty? Oh, I have to say Cattell Marte. Right. And so by Pakota and by Warp, and I obviously work for Baseball Perspectives, so that's you know that's what we're relying on here. But um, Madison Bumgarner is forecast for 3.8 wins above replacement, and Cattell Marte is forecast for 3.2. Wow. Um, in wow. my mind, this shouldn't <laughs> even be close, right? But But I think it highlights exactly what you're talking about. So if we go back through Madison Bumgarner's career, we see a very stable level of performance. Even though he was hurt at times, when he came back, um, he was still really productive. And so we have this huge body of work to evaluate, and that gives a system like Pakoda a lot of data and stable data to work with. If we go to Cattell Marte, we see, you know, uh, negative war, uh, you know, just a little bit. And then, oh my goodness, like, you know, a huge figure. So that gives the the computer system like a lot to think about. It yeah. obviously weights the 2019 performance more heavily, but only, you know, only by so much. And so um, I think it's, I think that really pinpoints, you know, and highlights kind of the disparity you're talking about. So we can make our own kind of mental adjustments. Um, you know, and, and Pakota can't, you know, necessarily tell who's going to get hurt. Um, it does account for injury time in some ways. Like guys that are perpetually hurt will not be forecasted to play 160 games. Hmm. Um, but it, it does make it challenging. And so um, I think we can do our own sort of mental adjustments and probably see that we think the Diamondbacks are going to be better than that. Um, as we were kind of discussing, you know, before we recorded, the difficulty is that if you adjust the model or you want to say, hey, Cattell Marte is a lot better than that. Like I've seen it with my eyes. I feel like he's way better. We have to go through and do that for like every player in baseball. Yeah. And those adjustments, you know, we're trying to get away from the sort of manual eye test adjustment, um, you know, in principle. So 
take it with a grain of salt, but I think you're right. I think the Diamondbacks are better than an 80-win team. Wow, 3.8 wins above replacement for Madison Bumgarner? Yeah, and and if he hits that mark, like I will be I will I, be pleased. Um Yeah. <laughs> I will be very pleased because I think if we look at the Diamondbacks rotation, you know, losing Zach Granke but adding adding Madison Bumgarner is is a net negative. Um but then you hope to sort of make up the gap in more innings from Luke Weaver and more innings from Zach Gallen. Um, so maybe that comes out kind of a wash and the rotation is basically just as good as it was a year ago. Um, in terms of the hitting side, you know, you look at some of the guys like you bring in a Cole Calhoun. Um, you know, you look at some of these these different changes that are happening there and, you know, it's probably a little bit better than it was a year ago, um, you know, provided health again. And, and, you know, maybe Christian Walker taking another step forward. But you have to hope that Cattell Marte does not take a step back. Mm. Um, you know, how does Starling Marte transition? Um, those are all questions that we have to have to ask. You know, how does Steven Vogt, you know, handle his role? Um, so those are all things to think about. I think probably on the hitting side, things are, are maybe slightly better than they were a year ago. Maybe not by a ton, but by a little bit. Um, so, you know, if we make that mental adjustment, I mean, I still see them kind of as a, you know, plus or minus a couple wins, like an 85 win team. That's that's kind of how I feel about it. Like, where do you think you stand? Yeah, no, I think I think I'm roughly in the in the same neighborhood. Um, I will I will say to um to the credit of you know a system like Pakoda, I think it is telling that 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 kind of season we at least have to acknowledge is possible like like the it is at least possible that Cattell Marte really is you know maybe not yeah. a 3.2 win player but you know maybe he's a four win player maybe he really does take right. a step back and 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 let's face it, if Cattell Marte is a four-win player, he's still a really good player. That's really good. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. There's there's no shame in being a four-win player year after year. Some of the best players in baseball are, are, are you know, four-win yeah. players year after year. That's that's really, there's really nothing wrong with that at all. Um, and I and I think up and down the roster, there are, there are other situations like that. You know, maybe Eduardo Escobar is not going to hit 35 home runs again. Um, maybe his age starts to starts to catch up to him a little bit. And we've also talked at length about the starting rotation and how the ceiling is really high. There's a lot of reasons to be excited about the rotation. But, it, you know, is it possible that the Madison Bumgarner is, you know, has a mid four ERA and, and Robbie Ray kind of does what he did last year and has a mid four ERA and, you know, Luke Weaver, there's there's some serious injury questions there. We're probably not expecting to get more than about 100 innings from him this year, uh, just based on his innings total from last year's or from past years and, and just the injury issues that he's had. Um, Zach Gallen is is obviously new. You can't put too many expectations on a on a pitcher entering their second year, even as good as we think his tools are. And right. so, yeah, up up and down the roster, I think you know if I had to guess, I would certainly put, you know, I, I would probably stake my prediction right around uh, eighty five, maybe up to around eighty seven wins somewhere in that neighborhood. I think the team is a little bit better this year than they were last year. 
Um, but baseball is is a is a weird sport, man. And and year after year, yeah. things happen. You know, teams teams that we thought we were going to make the playoffs suddenly settle back and win seventy games. You know, things like that can happen. And so we don't want to, uh, you know, look at the twenty twenty Diamondbacks as being immune to that or being. Um, you know, some kind of uh, super Mike Hazen team that because he built it, you know, it's foolproof and and, you know, these kinds of things couldn't happen to them. I think it's I think it's possible that the Diamondbacks could win 79 or 80 games. But but no, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that's my expectation based on, you know, what what something like Pakoda has for them this year. Absolutely. We didn't even touch on Mason Saunders and what he's going to bring to the rotation. That's you know? true. Yeah, there's really uh, a seventh guy that we haven't <laughs> even talked about yet in the rotation. <laughs> no, I think you're I think you're spot on. Um it's it's a it's difficult. Um and and any forecasting system, whether it's Zips, whether it's Bakota, whether it's Steamer, there's all this regression that happens and you know, it's just really, really tough to go through and project any player in baseball not named Mike Trout to go out and be a seven <laughs> or eight win player. I yeah. mean, it just is really, really challenging. And so um, I, I think we have to we have to do our own little bit of calculus. Um, in my opinion, that does not invalidate the system. That tells us that the system as a whole, and we know this year over year, the system as a whole does really, really well. Yeah. Um, Dakota tends to stand above its peers um, as it's been refined and new components have been added. Um, Harry and Jonathan at Baseball Perspectives do incredible work um, with their modeling. We just know that there are going to be outliers and there are outliers on both ends of the spectrum. That could be Cattell Marte being worth seven wins instead of three. And that could be Eduardo Escobar being worth zero instead of you know, what we might hope is four or something. Yeah. So it's really, really tricky. Um, there are going to be the pluses and there are going to be the minuses. You hope that your team is full of guys that exceed the expectation um, and have very few, if any, that are, you know, significantly below the bar. And so that's really kind of what you're betting on. Hmm. Injuries obviously play a huge role here. Yeah. And we just don't know, like, we don't know who's going to get through the season. Does Cattell Marte's back start to bother him again in April? Um, or does he play like 160 games and just be a monster? Like, those are questions that we don't know. Those are questions that Pakoda can't answer. Um, and that's why baseball is so fun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I don't I don't want to sound I don't want to make this sound like, you know, the the Debbie Downer episode where we, you know, agree with the Pakota projections, the Diamondbacks after all these improvements and after some people pegged them to be, you know, the winners of the offseason or at least one of the few teams that might have won the offseason. Um, they've done a lot of things right over the offseason to prepare them for for this season. I think we've both spoken pretty highly about what Mike Hazen and company at the helm of this organization have done to, to patch up some of the weak spots. And, and yeah, going into the season, although we will acknowledge that anything can happen and projection systems are flawed, as are our expectations of the team, you really can't uh, put any, you know, put too much hope in, in just about anything at this point in spring training. But looking at this team heading into this year, there are certainly a lot of reasons to be excited 
And yes. I know this is this is kind of the season of hope, right? When you're in spring training, uh, you know, heck, even even the even the Baltimore Orioles fans right now are are trying to stake some hope in the in the 2020 season, right? You know, believing that that anything can happen, and so that's what you know that's what characterizes this time of year when you know no games count yet. The Diamondbacks can be two and eight, and we don't care. It doesn't matter yet. Um, and so I think that's a that's a healthy perspective to have at this at this point in the season. The Diamondbacks so far have escaped any devastating uh, spring training injuries, which obviously they have a, a bit of a storied history of those kinds of things popping up right around uh, you generally several days before the season starts. That's when AJ Pollock went down a few years ago, when yep. Stephen Souza went down a, a couple years ago. So we certainly hope they can avoid anything like that here in these coming weeks um but yeah so far you know looking into this season i think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about the diamondbacks overall i do too um two two moments on that topic that have already scared me uh david peralta i'm (laughs) sure if it was last night or one of the nights before but dove for a ball in the gap and landed a little awkwardly on his wrist and oh yeah Oh goodness gracious! I, my my <laughs> my heart sunk into my stomach. Um, and then last night, uh, Stephen Vogt uh, ripped one down the line and just buried it in the corner. Oh, and ran I, for the triple! Yeah, <laughs> it's an easy three bagger, right? But he's digging, and I'm just like Stephen, shut it down at second base, man! Don't don't pull a hammy! Like, come on! Come hey, on. man. <laughs> he's he's an he's an APU alum. The man works hard, so just throwing that out there. He must he must work hard, and because um, because he legged that triple out and made it look pretty easy, but it it still made me nervous. Um, and those things happen, you know. Um, it, it's baseball. These guys, you know, David Peralta doesn't need to die for that. I mean, <laughs> he doesn't, but he does because that's the kind of player he is. And Stephen Vogt doesn't need to dig for third, but like. It's in his blood. Like he's not gonna give up ninety feet. You know, he's just not gonna do it. And yeah. Plus, you know, he probably bet someone a hundred bucks in the clubhouse and he'd hit a triple at some point this season. <laughs> so uh, maybe he wanted that hundred bucks. But um, yeah, it's those those little things can happen, and, and we have a long way to go yet. I mean, baseball's here, and they you know they they played ten games, and that feels awesome. But we're still, you know, almost three weeks out from the start of the regular season. There's a lot to still transpire. Um, some of these guys that we've talked about that have had a rough go of things still have time to turn it around. Yeah. Um, it's probably inevitable that, that someone's going to get nicked up to some degree. Um, we just hope that we just hope that it's not, not that it's nothing major. Um, but yeah, there's a lot to still sort out, and there's plenty of reasons to be optimistic. Um, mm. I think that's my big takeaway is that. You know, you can take the projections, you can look at them, but if we do so, some of our own little calculus um, and we look at what Mike Hazen has put together, there's no reason to be sour on this team. Yeah, no, absolutely, I agree. Uh, before we before we close out here in this episode 18 of the Rattle Podcast, I want to give a quick shout out to Jonathan Cuellar, um, who asked us if we had any concerns about Luke Weaver. Uh, we kind of touched on that episode or touched on that earlier in the episode. Uh, but I wanted to make sure we acknowledge Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan, thank you for submitting a question. As always, we appreciate it here 
on the Rattle Podcast. And with that, that is all that we have here in episode 18. As always, thank you so much for listening. You can find me personally on Twitter at, at Jesse and Friedman. You can find Jeff at, at OutfieldGrass24. Uh, we would both love to interact with you on Twitter. You can also find uh, our page as a whole at, is at the Rattle AZ on Twitter, and our website is www.therattle.net. Um, we've had some pretty regular content coming out there. I just released my top five X factors for the Diamondbacks in 2020. Um, and then Joshua, one of our other writers, uh, just released a piece talking about um, just all of the moves that have been made over the offseason, not just the Diamondbacks, but the Padres and the Dodgers in particular, and how that NL West uh, is kind of being shuffled around based on what all those teams have done. Um, so be sure to check that one out as well. Um, And once again, thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back here and hopefully just about a week as the season uh, is getting uh, off to a start. We're going to get back hopefully on our regular schedule here soon with the rattle. Um, And we're going to be talking more soon here about the Arizona Diamondbacks.